You're listening to the Raising Humans Kind podcast with Ashley, where we dive into the big topics, the stuff that really matters in raising your small humans so that together we can raise humankind. In this series, I will answer the question, why should we stay away from rewards and consequences? And what do we do instead? Each week, I will add a new piece to the puzzle. So when we're complete, you will have your map and you will be ready to ditch the rewards and consequences too. So settle in, grab a cuppa and join me as I chat with some of my favorite parenting leaders to answer this big question so that you can find your own unique pathway in raising your small human kindly. Today I am here with Brianna Kapodakinal, a licensed marriage and family therapist, a board certified perinatal mental health specialist, and an endorsed infant family early childhood mental health specialist. And of course, most importantly, a mum. Today we share a conversation about rewards and consequences and some of their long-term impacts. We talk about whether they actually work, what influence they have on the parent-child relationship, and some of the unintended long-term consequences in using this approach. And stay tuned for the next six episodes, because that is when I will share exactly what to do instead. Thank you so much for being here today, Brianna. I'm so excited to have you and be able to discuss all things rewards and consequences and conditional parenting with you. But before we start, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do in the world and your story? Absolutely. So I'm Brianna Capodacanol and I am most importantly a mom of two kiddos. I have one child who's three and a half and another who just turned one. And I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm a perinatal mental health specialist and an infant family and early childhood mental health specialist. For the last 10 years, I have worked exclusively with new moms and families with very young children under the age of five with the intention to help families connect together in a way that feels safer. So both physical safety, but really, I think what I focus a lot on is emotional safety and helping parents and children feel more regulated together, calm together. And I would say the primary way that I've been working recently has been helping parents build more reflective capacity and understanding why they are the way that they are and how it influences their relationship with their child. So I take a real relational approach to a child's well-being as well as a parent's well-being. Mm. I love that you talk about emotional safety. That's such an important part of the parent-child relationship and Mm -hmm. such an important part of what we're going to talk about today, because really this does come back to feeling safe in the relationship. So let's dive into what different types of consequences there are, and then we'll go into the three biggest issues that we see with rewards and consequences. So let's start with punishments. Can you talk a little bit about what punishments are and maybe an example of a punishment? Sure. Well, punishment is where, you know, the child does not meet the parent's expectation or the parent's command or the demand. And so the parent is going to act in a way that is designed to invoke fear or even potentially cause harm. Sometimes that's physical harm. So we'll see spanking as a form of punishment. And sometimes isolation is the harm. So we'll see timeouts and separation in a moment where actually the child really needs deep connection and understanding. That is a form of punishment. Any kind of like withdrawal of our love. So 
acting in a conditional way toward the child. Well, I will only help you if you respect me or if you mm. listen. Even this is a form of punishment. And then, of course, berating a child or humiliating a child, anything mm. that is to invoke pain or fear in the child is really going to be a punishment. And it's really a form of control is the main message that I have. It's how we control children. It's how we remind children that they aren't in charge, that they are not the leaders of their own lives, and that we are their authority figure and we are the ones who are in the line of authority and we are the ones who deserve respect. It's really dehumanizing to these little human beings who know so little about the ways of the world and mm. really crave and need deep respect for their process of being in the world. So I think it's a whole paradigm shift that we're trying to, people like you and I are really trying to open parents' eyes up to. Yeah. To see, you know, because the flip side of things is punishments work. That's mm. the flip side of things. When you punish a kid, you get them, they usually do stop doing what it is that you ask them to do, what it is mm. that you're punishing them for. But it's a momentary stop and it's not based in trust it's not based in understanding. It's not based in connection. It's really out of fear and kind of a submission to being controlled, which I find deeply problematic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things is, as you say, as we are trying to move away and have this paradigm shift, a lot of people resonating with what you say and going, okay, well, punishments, yeah, I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel good. But what about rewards? You know, rewards can't be that bad. So let's talk for a second a little bit about what rewards are. We'll go into the problems of them later, but let's talk a little bit about what they are and how they're often used in society at the moment. Sure. So rewards are, it's a technical term that you find in behavioral science and behavioral theory that means in terms of parenting, we're going to we are going to use some kind of token or some kind of even like a specific phrase to show a child that if they do more of this, then they're going to get this reward in the end. Mm -hmm. Now, society is largely structured on reward systems. You go to work, mm -hmm. you get rewarded by being paid money, and that's the motivator for getting you to go to work. And so the idea with rewards is that we kind of dangle this carrot to motivate a child. It's because we are really conditioned and it's old science that we know is no longer true. But for these purposes, it's this old idea that children need motivation to look outside of themselves to be able to be good humans and that it is the parent's job to motivate the child with these rewards to be able to get the child to you know reach their highest potential. We see it everywhere. We see mm. it in the very beginning. Potty training is mm. a, gets rewarded. Eating gets rewarded with, you know, treats and cookies. We see it in the school system. We have the red zones and the green zones and the, the yellow zones. And children have to move their little paperclip up and down depending on their behavior. It's all designed to modify the behavior, really with the intention, going back to what we were saying, to please the adult. So it's not about teaching the child intrinsic motivation, the intrinsic reward. Um, it's this idea that the child has to be shaped to be able to reach their highest potential. And again, I believe it requires a really important paradigm shift because there's 
people like you and I who are really leading conversation that children are already good. Their goodness isn't something that needs to be shaped or earned. Mm -hmm. And that there's actually quite a bit of problems that we face in adulthood when for 20, 30 years, we have lived according to this paradigm that we have to earn our goodness. And and just as you said, it it comes from old science. It comes from behaviorism. And Mm -hmm. this is research and science that was done on animals. It was Mm -hmm about mice and rats and we've kind of taken it to children and I and I really believe that neuroscience is going to bring us home I say this a lot neuroscience is going to this is my hope and belief (laughs) is going to bring this stuff into the mainstream because this is what the neuroscience is telling us is this is not what is best practice so I do have a real hope that that type of science is going to show us that how outdated this behavioral approach is Okay, so let's move on to natural consequences are the ones that we actually agree with. Like in terms of talking about consequences, natural consequences are things that are separate from the normal consequences and rewards that we that we disagree with. So can you talk a little bit about what a natural consequence is and maybe an example of it? Absolutely. Natural consequence is something that happens in reaction to a choice or decision that you make. So you go outside and it's raining and you don't bring an umbrella, you're going to get wet. It's a natural yes. consequence. It's not parent-led. It just happens, right? It happens. You, you're angry, you're a child and you're angry and you pick up your favorite toy and you throw it against the wall and it makes the toy break apart. That's the natural consequence of mm-hmm. the throwing. The toy mm-hmm. has broken apart. Whereas a parent-imposed consequence is almost always going to lead to some kind of power struggle. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, children are labeled as defiant and resistant and pushing buttons. Because parents think, well, I have to take away this toy mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that you're throwing because you're going to destroy it. Whereas that's not going to actually teach the child how it is to be in relationship with this toy. Mm-hmm. Let me show you ways to be safer with this toy. Now, of course, like I believe that there's also a difference between consequences and boundaries, which I feel yes. when I read online that people blur them. People mm-hmm. actually call boundaries consequences. And I don't see them as the same thing. Do you feel- so do you want to, let's dive right into that. So, so we've got natural consequences, not parent-led. They are right. just something that happens as part of the natural order of life. And so they can work really well because you can come alongside your child and be with your child. So your child, for example, you use the example of the raincoat, then you could even have one in your back pocket that says, oh, now you're feeling wet, like here. So you're there supporting your child, but they get the natural consequences not coming from you. Punishment, I think we've been really clear, rewards. And so now there's also logical consequences. And I think this is the one that most parents trip up over. And this Mm -hmm. is the one that I feel like has probably, this and rewards is the most commonly used. And because it is logical and it fits with it is somehow linked to what is going on. So it's not random, like punishments might be. But because it is logical, people think that it's it's more appropriate and therefore that it teaches lessons. And now let's dive into the difference between logical consequences and boundaries. I've heard you talk about this in your work before, and I love the nuance you bring to the type of language that people would use. So can you share a little bit about that? Well, I think that there is a parent imposition in a logical consequence where we are still having to wield our own power and our own sense of authority over the child for the purpose of teaching them a lesson. Whereas I see life as the primary lesson teacher for all of us and our children included. And I see boundaries as how we teach child to be in relationship with us and how children teach us 
how to be in relationship with them. Mm. Boundaries are really bi-directional, whereas logical consequences are not. Logical consequences are usually parent-led, parent-driven, parent-imposed. Children are not able to impose a logical consequence onto parents. It's not possible. They don't have Mm. the power in a typical child-parent dynamic. Whereas parents or children can impose boundaries onto parents because that is their innate right Mm -hmm. to set boundaries that they need. So that's the long answer to my understanding of the difference between like a logical consequence and a boundary. But it can be as simple as, you know what, hun, I'm putting this toy up high uh, because you threw it. And so you're not going to be able to play with this toy for the rest of the day. That I, many people call a boundary. I would not call that a boundary. I would call that a logical consequence. And it's not something I actually agree with. I find it to be a bit more supportive to tell the child, honey, I can't let you throw. It's not safe for your body. Hmm. I'm going to hold on to this toy. And when your body feels ready, we can try again. Hmm. Now, the boundary offers the opportunity for a child to find new ways to express what it is that they're trying to say, to find new ways to engage in the world around them. Whereas the logical consequence says, really, it's really just a nice way to to punish the child, right? You can't do this. So I'm going to wield my power over you. You can't play with this until I say it's okay. Whereas the boundary is when your body is ready, when your body is showing me that that you're ready, or when you're ready to work on it together, there's the energy, the, the, Mm. the tone, It's far more collaborative in a boundary than it is in a logical consequence. Does this make sense to you? Mm, Absolutely. I love that you use the word collaborative. I'm going to do a whole topic on that later on when I I talk about what to do instead. And one Mm -hmm. of the topics that I talk about is with Rachel around collaborative conversations because it is such an important part of what we do instead of using consequences. And the the thing that I always add to that and that I share with parents is that I think that there is a slippery slope. So you've talked about the nuance in language. And what I often add to parents as well is this idea that, yes, sometimes they do overlap sometimes. So maybe there's a different way that you do it, but maybe you're stopping the child from having the toy that they're using to hit with or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But if you have in your mind that I use boundaries, it's really clear when that boundary is appropriate and when that boundary is not appropriate. Whereas with consequences, I find parents starting to say things like, oh, I'm not sure what the logical consequence is here. If you're wondering what the logical consequence is here, then you've moved over into punishments. You're trying to think of something that is going to be uncomfortable for the child so that they stop that behavior again. Instead of, like you say, collaboratively working on what's the cause here? What's underneath this behavior? How can we help our child learn to use their body more safe? So an example here is, as you've said, the child is being unsafe with the toy. The boundary is clear. What do I need to do now respectfully to keep everyone safe? That includes my child, other people and the environment. So if my child is doing you know, damage to something, I absolutely need to step in and prevent that from happening. And that might include saying, you know, I can't let you do that, honey. I'm really worried it's going to break. Please don't bang the, bang the toy on the floor. And then maybe that means if they can't stop, maybe it does mean physically helping them. Whereas let's say, you know, you found out later that your child damaged something with the toy they were using. The boundary now isn't what's needed. It's not about the here and now anymore. So if you're thinking in terms of boundaries, it's clear. Okay, this isn't the right path for me right now. Boundaries isn't what's actually going to be helpful in this moment. 
So which other element of conscious discipline can I use? How else can I think about and deal with the cause of this behavior rather than just focusing on the symptom? But you know, if you're thinking in terms of logical consequences, you can pretty easily justify that it's logical to take the toy because they weren't using it safely. So you're not preventing a safety issue now. Now you're technically using a logical consequence, but it's kind of just punishing the child in the hope that the discomfort you've now paired with the event will stop the child from doing it again. So even though sometimes logical consequences and boundaries can be similar at times or, you know, kind of look the same on the surface, the mindset of logical consequences can quickly slippery slope into punishments. And I don't see that boundaries do the same. And And it, it goes back to what we were saying about the onus being on the child and not being on the parent to make the child good. I have Mm. to impose this logical Mm. consequence now to make sure that my child is a good child. Mm. That's Mm. we have to, we can't fault parents. It's just old science. It's our conditioning and it's parents trying to do the best that they can with the information that they have. Whereas when we're really taking this boundary collaborative relationship approach, we see it as, Oh, my child's missing a skill. Okay, what is it that my child is missing? And it's now my job as the parent to help my child learn the skill. So what I see really lacks in parents who keep defaulting to logical consequences is they seem to lack problem-solving skills themselves. Mm -hmm. They seem to really struggle with how to solve basic problems and basic conflicts. So often in therapy, I will ask, how did you see your parents solve problems? Because that's going to really be a huge informant for us in terms of how we figure out how to solve problems with ourselves, with our partners, with our children. So that might be something I think that speaks to people that if we're really struggling with the difference between logical consequences and boundaries, it might be because we don't know how to solve problems to begin with. And it is tricky, you know, it is really hard when this is what we've grown up with. And this is what we saw just as you've alluded to then that this is our own conditioning. So Mm -hmm. to shift that and create a new pathway can feel really murky and challenging. And Mm -hmm. I think that, and again, this will be a whole topic I will dive into on boundaries, but then people often say, okay, well, if we don't use consequences, then we don't use anything. Then they turn over, they think that respectful parenting is more permissive parenting and it's not. Mm -hmm. It really is not just because we don't use consequences doesn't mean we don't hold boundaries. It doesn't mean that we allow a lack of safety in the home. But I think that that's often what people people misinterpret. Okay, perfect. So let's move on and dive into the three biggest issues that we see with rewards and consequences. You know, we could talk about this for hours and hours, (laughs) but I just chose three to hopefully just highlight some of the bigger issues that tend to come up. So let's talk first with how we've touched on this a little bit, but how they don't deal with the cause of the issue. And sometimes they even exacerbate the cause of the problem. So really, you know, they don't really work in the long term. They might work in the short term, but they don't really work in the long term. Can you talk a little bit more about how they don't deal with the cause of the challenging behavior? Well, yes, because when we are giving a reward or to shape a behavior or we're giving a consequence to extinguish a behavior, It's all about the 
the behavior of the child, the physical action of the child. And yet we know from neuroscience that children are not acting arbitrarily, that there is Mm. some kind of unmet need going on beneath the surface for the child. Mm. Sometimes that's safety. Sometimes that's the need for connection. Sometimes it's hunger. Sometimes Mm. they're tired. Sometimes they're sensory, overstimulated or understimulated. Sometimes they just need somebody to be with their big feelings. And a lot of the times, if you have a toddler, it is their need for power and control and independence that is so incredibly fearful. For many of us as parents, we are deeply afraid of a child who's trying to own their power and own their own sense of independence and autonomy. And so we will react in our fear to our children um, showing us what is going on beneath the surface. And we won't see that as communication. Mm -hmm. We will see that as my child's trying to manipulate me. I better nip this in the bud. My child's trying to control me. I better do something about this. Mm -hmm. Or my child is acting a fool in public and I cannot let other people think that I'm okay with this. So I need to perform as a Mm -hmm. parent. Sure, that others see what a strong and you know authoritative parent it is that I am. And so, so, so much of it is without connection. Do you hear what I'm saying? None of it is, how do I stop and recognize what's going on for me and how I'm triggered? And then how do I be curious and wonder what is going on for this child? You know, because at the end of the day, we're just two brains in our interfacing, <laughs> us and our children. We're just nervous systems interfacing. And as the parent, our job is to, to the best of our ability, try to decode that nervous system and soothe it and engage with it and support it. And yet none of the supports, well, very little of the supports that surround us really encourage this. In fact, they encourage rewards. They encourage Mm. consequences, which means if they discourage connection, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Yes. And I love that question there. What is going on for my child? Because that's exactly what we need to get clear on. Once we see the behavior, we're seeing like the beginning. It's not the end. So take frustration, for example, a child hits out of frustration and we add a consequence. What we've done now is said, hey, I can see you're having a hard time managing your frustration. Let me add some more. Let me now take away your toys and add more frustration to your cup and see how you handle that. None of it actually helps the child deal with the frustration that they were struggling with in the first place. None of this kind of keeps those long-term parenting goals in mind that we do have. So it's not helping deal with big feelings and it can add to big feelings. And then on top of that, it can add shame. The child can't help their impulse control challenges. So add in a consequence and now you're also often adding in shame. And then begins this vicious cycle. Child feels shame for developmental challenges like being physical when they have big feelings, which adds more big feelings to their body, which creates more dysregulation and disconnection. Then, of course, all of that equals more challenging behavior. Then the parent starts to feel more frustrated and wants more of a quick fix, so bigger consequences or dangling better carrots. And so the cycle just keeps continuing. 
I just want to interrupt this conversation for a moment to say if you're loving today's episode and want to dive into these topics and more with me, my membership, the Raising Humans Collective, is the place to be. For just 33 Australian dollars per month, you can access my workshops, a private forum where I will answer all your questions and dive into all your scenarios and wonderings with you, and also live webinars. This is the place for me to support you to integrate your learnings while tapping back into your own intuition and your own unique pathway. And I'm so glad that you brought up that idea that behavior is communication. It is our child. It's the tip of the iceberg. It's the symptom. So it's Mm -hmm. the thing that we see on the top, but it is not what we need to actually deal with. And I think sometimes parents can be a little bit afraid of that, of that idea of like, oh, now I have to decode their behavior. I have to be a psychologist too. And it's not that complex. Like I think we make it sound more complex than it is. And you listed just a great number of examples like, Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they've got big feelings. Maybe they're not feeling connected. And when we step out of this reward consequence paradigm, we can really tune into that. So what's going on for our child underneath? And how do we, as you said, how do we help them solve that problem? Or how do we teach that skill? Or how do we provide them with another way to deal with that big feeling Mm -hmm. instead of just dealing with the symptom, which is what we're seeing on the surface? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought in that idea of how it brings up stuff for us when we're in public because that's so true this behaviorism paradigm that's so embedded into our culture does make parents think am I doing enough if I don't Mm -hmm. impose a consequence or a reward is this enough and my answer Mm -hmm. is sorry go on I just wanted to add, I also think that the flip side is true. I think when parents do step into the work that we're talking about, seeing the child beneath the surface and actually finding it's much easier, yes. they start to yeah. wonder, am I doing enough? Is it supposed yeah. to feel this easy? Yeah. <laughs> it, that it's not that it's easy. It's that it's simpler. It, yeah. If you're trying yeah. to imagine all the ways that you need to control your child is you're going to resist it just as much mm. as your child, because not one human being on this planet enjoys being controlled. Mm. They will try to resist it at some point. It is developmentally appropriate on, in several stages of our life, mm. in fact, to resist feeling controlled by another person. And that's really what I'm trying to pose. Very simply, I believe that most consequences, all punishments, and practically most uses of rewards are really just ways to control a child. When we're controlling, we are not trusting. Mm. We're, we can't trust. And this is, I think, a hard truth to know, but it is very important. If we are not trusting, we are not loving. Yeah. We cannot love. If you don't trust, you cannot love. It is the first psychosocial milestone of infancy is to learn basic trust. And when we're really struggling to live out trust in our relationships with our children, that means they're probably struggling to trust us too. Yeah. It's very balanced and delicate and doesn't have to be so heady. You know, mm. it doesn't have to be so heavy either. It mm. can really just be something that we intentionally choose every day. Today, I'm going to choose trusting my child instead of trying to control them. I'm going to choose being aware of when I'm controlling. And I'm going to notice why I'm acting this way. Why do I feel like this mm. consequence is so necessary? Mm. I'm just going to notice that about myself. It's probably because I'm feeling a bit out of control right now. And I'm just wanting a little bit of peace and order okay, I can give myself grace for that. And I don't have to act on it. Yeah. 
And so I think that beautifully lends us to our next point, which is about the damage it does to relationships. So would you say trust is the biggest damage that rewards and consequences do to relationship? Absolutely. I think anytime we're feeling like somebody has some kind of agenda for us, well, my parent is only giving me these M&Ms because they want me to pee and poop on the potty. They seem more excited about me peeing and pooping on the potty than I am. I better make sure I do this to please them. Now I have wired a totally intrinsically rewarding experience of not sitting in your own urine and not sitting in your own feces and make it all about the parent's comfort and convenience. This is, of course, I'm using this example because it's a very relatable example for most parents that I know. Most of us are tired with all the diapers or nappies, as I've heard you call them. We're very tired with having to do it. It is a bit of an inconvenience when you're changing them for many years. But this is the child's body and this is their own unique process. And it is just one of many examples where we struggle to trust and we tend to use rewards as a way to get the child to use the toilet. And why I have an issue with it is it sets the stage for children having to perform in ways to please us parents. Mm. It's not that potty training your children with M&Ms is going to immediately lead your child to therapy. It's that the premise of it is, I don't trust you. You need me to shape how you are for my comfort, for my service, for my pleasure, Mm. not for the child. So I urge parents to think about why are we dangling these carrots? Why are we using consequences and punishments. If it is to serve us and our own ego and our own fears and our own needs, we really have to deconstruct that, sit with that and find a new way. And that, you know, you're talking about the the parent not trusting the child. And I would add this goes both ways because what I see when they dangle the carrots as well is that the child stops trusting the parent's ability to lead. So when we, uh, you know, another example, a parent stuck trying to get a child to leave the park and not really sure what to do. And so they say, come on, we can go home. We'll have an ice cream or something. And so the child immediately jumps in the car. But what I see in my work then is the child intuitively feeling this parent isn't in the lead. This parent doesn't have the leadership skills because attachment is hierarchical, right? Mm -hmm. There always has to be an alpha and a dependent. And ideally, (laughs) The parent is the alpha. Now, that doesn't mean we control over, but it does mean we lead. And a child who's watching a parent kind of be unsure and uncertain and dangle those carrots as like a, oh, quick, I just need a quick fix. What I see is those kids going, this doesn't feel right. There's no genuine leadership here. And what we can see then is those children can then take that alpha role in the attachment hierarchy Mm. because they're sensing that their adult can't lead. So they're like, okay, well, then I I better take up that alpha position because somebody Mm. always has to take the alpha and the dependent. Mm. And so interesting theory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that just, I think is the flip side of what you're talking about. You're talking about as adults trusting children, but I also think that, yeah, it really plays into this idea of kids not being able to trust our leadership because we can lead with respect and without power over. We don't have to take that, take away the power over doesn't mean we take away the leadership. Yeah. Let me just say one thing too, Ashley, for all the parents who are listening, who are like, I've totally told my kid, I'm going to give him some ice cream. Yes. <laughs> they just get in the car. Listen, the one off, the handful of times, do your thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. don't, yeah. Even, don't even bat an eye, of, don't bat an eye about it. Don't feel yeah. guilty. 
When it is our primary tool, exactly. when doing the carrot is my primary tool mm-hmm. of being in connection with you. Yeah. What I'm saying is I don't trust myself. What I'm saying is I don't trust you. And what I'm saying is trust does not belong here. Yeah. And where I think you and I are trying to really communicate is that trust can be there. My child can have a really hard time leaving the playground. And I can say, you know, hon, I know this is really tough. You really wish there was more time to play. And I can see your feet are having a really difficult time making it to the car. All right, my love, I'm going to hang out with you for another minute, see if our bodies can calm down together, and then we can try again. We can try to solve this problem again. Many parents feel like, oh, this is too permissive. Mm -hmm. It's not permissive. It's connected. I'm Mm -hmm. letting the child know, I see that you're doing hard work here. And perhaps you weren't ready to go. I'm going to honor that. and. We do have to pick up your brother from daycare. So we're going to work together to make this happen. The energy is completely different than, come on, I'll give you an ice cream when we, when we get home. If you just mm-hmm. follow my, if you just follow me, I'll give you an ice cream. Mm-hmm. Not any different than, you know, the California government giving people money for getting the COVID vaccine. It's not any different. No, no. And this is, it's so exactly as you say that it's so embedded in our society. So I do really want parents to feel you know, that it's understandable that we've got to this point. If this is you and you're here going, oh, wow, yeah, I really do. Dangle carrots. That's the only way I feel like I've got any leadership with my child. Then this is so embedded in our society that, you know, we understand that. We understand that how you got there. But I guess this conversation is us trying to untangle this and question this and get people to think differently. So it is a big conversation and is heavy. And we've talked about some big leaps that can happen. I think that sometimes that can be really confronting for parents, but I do just exactly as you've said, is that it's not about doing it a little bit by little bit. It really, I always say to parents, it's about what we do 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. That's what we're really focusing on. But if this is your main tool, then tomorrow's a new day. There's always time to shift relationships. There's always time to heal and change and move things. So if this is something that you're recognizing that, oh yeah, I have done that, that's okay, right? There's always another time to create a new moment in connection with your child. That's right. Attachment psychology and neuroscience are the most promising forms of psychological research Mm. that I have ever read. Promising because it literally does not matter where you are in your parenting journey. If you decide when your kids are 20 and 30 to make shifts and changes in how you relate to them, they will follow suit. Mm. Now, I'm not saying it will erase any wounds. You might have to be open to hearing the ways that they've felt a little wronged, but there's growth even in that. There's growth in being able to take feedback and to learn from that. And we all will, right? Like it doesn't matter how much of a respectful, conscious parent you think you are your child will come back and say, this didn't work for me, or this was tricky, or this part was hard. And this is what I've taken from that. Like there's no such thing as perfection. So even if you're not using the rewards and consequences and you feel like you're doing all the things, you know, all the right quote unquote things, there will still be wounds and challenges. That's just the inevitability of being in relationship. So no one's going to get it perfectly. A hundred percent. I tell parents this every single day, Ashley, I say, Do not conscious parent for your children. Do it Mm. for yourself. Mm. Do it for yourself. Do it because you want the self-awareness, because you want the growth. Just like I tell them, do not have a second child so that your oldest has a sibling. 
Do it because you want to grow, because Mm -hmm. you want to go deeper into who it is that you were meant to be. Because this whole idea that conscious parenting, gentle parenting, respectful parenting, whatever, leads to these perfect children who are totally adjusted, who have no problems. It's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. It's your perceived. No, we're still going to be footing some kind of therapy bill. You, you, didn't do, you didn't do your job as a parent if your kid's not in therapy. Because your job is to teach your children how to know themselves. And therapy is a wonderful place to mm. figure out and to know yourself. Parenting is a wonderful experience to teach you about who it is that you are. It's so much more than rewards and consequences. This is why I like to open up more nuanced conversations because so much of parenting is really just about how do we get the children to do what we're telling them to do? And I'm like, that is not the conversation to be having. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's jump on to our last issue that I see is that consequences and rewards actually discourage children from coming to us with their mistakes. They kind of stop them from saying, Hey mom, I've had a really hard time or I got stuck in this problem or, you know, it's 1am and I'm only a teenager and I've been drinking and I need help. Mm-hmm. They stop our children actually coming to us when they mm-hmm. have a problem. So can you talk about that and why long-term maybe, you know, this is not what we want? Right. Well, again, because consequences do not teach our children how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Consequences are parents coming in and essentially like imposing something That does not actually teach us how to work through the problem that it is that we're facing. And so then when these children become older and they're facing real problems, like the example that you gave, drinking, and maybe doesn't have access to an Uber and is terrified to call a parent because they're afraid that they're never going to be able to see their friends again or something, you know, drastic or serious is going to happen. These children are very likely to put themselves in a position of harm. Um, same thing with us as adults. Many adults go into debt, not just because of money management issues, but because when they have problems, they fear the consequence and don't know how to reach out and get the help that they need. And this, I just kind of, to me, it feels so sad that we would feel like as parents, that is the way that this is the way to raise children is to impose the fear of consequences and then make them have to experience the consequence in order to be a good person, in order to be an upstanding citizen. I feel like that to me, it just feels so inhumane. It's like, well, opening harm's way up to a child with no skills and then saying, good luck. Whereas if we really get it into our minds that My job is to teach. I need to teach this child and I need this child to understand that I will set boundaries. I'm going to absolutely have boundaries around drinking and driving. And we're going to have discussions around being out late night at a party. And we're going to, we're going to work this out together, right? If you're underage drinking, it is illegal. What are the legal consequences that you imagine might happen? What do you think could have happened if you would have gotten into the car? Absolutely, I'm going to be having boundary discussions with my child, but I want my child to know that they can come to me Mm. with anything and I'm not going to be punitive. I'm not going to be shaming. I'm not going to be controlling and harmful in their, you know, desperate moment of need that I'm going to see them with compassion. I'm going to help them learn to take accountability for their mistakes, especially a teenager, right? Kids under 10 barely, you know, have the skills for taking full accountability 
for what's going on for them. But with teenagers, I'm going to help them take accountability. And then you know what else I'm going to do, Ashley? I'm going to figure out my accountability in this Mm. as well. Because if I have a child who is a teenager who is in deep problems and is afraid to call me, that's because I haven't made myself available to my child in deep problems. And that's it, isn't it? We set that up now. So when our child spills the milk or when they hit their sibling, it's how we respond now that is giving them the conditioning and the reminders that says, okay, you know, I'm not going to let this happen, but I'm here and I'm on your side. Right. And, and it's that message that we want our children to really feel in the cells of their body so that when they are teenagers and something's gone wrong, that we're the ones that they call. And I think that that long-term parenting is the stuff we really want to have in mind. I'm parenting the two-year-old now who is struggling to be gentle with his little brother or whatever it is. But I want to remember that I want that teenager to come to me when he's struggling with something else. So how can I show up and keep boundaries and make sure that the little sibling is safe, but without damaging connection to myself and my older child? That's right. And I think there's so much wounds there for so many of us because many of us who are parenting in this way did not have parents who prioritized connection. We had parents who prioritized control. We had parents who did not trust us. We had parents who had their own unprocessed issues that they did not have any guidance or support on. And so they projected and blamed all of that onto us. So there's this, it's a double whammy for a lot of the families who I work with, who, and you know, even myself, I'm not excluded or immune from that. I'm totally in that as well, where I'm doing my own healing work and trying to parent in a way that is healing and connected. And it is a lot. It's a lot to manage. So I love your like 80-20 rule that there are going to be moments where we just aren't connected because we're triggered in our own stuff. And then you take that to your journal. You take that to therapy. You take that to a good friend. Work that out. Make sense of that. I can't stress enough the significance of self-reflection in building safe, secure attachments with our children. The more we reflect, the more we connect. And if we can really prioritize that as parents, connecting with our kids in these difficult moments is not going to feel like such a hardship. It's Mm. going to feel intuitive and natural. And really the consequences and punishments and rewards will feel less and less intuitive and will feel completely unnatural when we are leading with connection. Mm -hmm. But I love what you say there about the more we reflect, the more we can connect. That's Mm -hmm. just such a beautiful phrase for us to remember. And just such a beautiful thing to end on, because I think that we've talked about some really heavy stuff and we've talked about how, you know, some of these really mainstream practices can lead to not ideal situations. And so I'd love to leave parents with this idea that, you know, we don't need to be perfect, but just as you said, the more we reflect, the more we can connect. And that's beautiful. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for having me. So thank you so much for coming up and sharing this conversation with me, Brianna. It's been a big one and I know that it's an important one to get out there. So I really appreciate your time today. Can you share for everybody who's listening, your offerings, your courses, where can they find more out about you and, and find you in the world? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Conscious Mommy. If you go to learning.consciousmommy.com, you can have access to 
my workshops. I offer live workshops and hope to have some guided courses available for later on this year. And if you're needing some individual conscious parenting coaching, I do short-term coaching with parents and you can get that information at consciousmommy.com. Oh, and I have a freebie as well. If you go to consciousmommy.com slash freebie, I have a really great guide, Stepping Stones for the Conscious Mommy. It gives you four main points for learning how to let go of control, starting to trust yourself, working on your past hurts, addressing your triggers, and really ending this cycle of people-pleasing. It's an excellent starter guide for families that are interested in this work. Mm, Sounds perfect, given everything we've talked about today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brianna. Thank you. Well, that's another piece of our puzzle added. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you could leave a review below or screenshot it and share your biggest takeaway and tag me at Raising Humans Kind on Instagram. This is one way to support the podcast and means it can reach more parents who need to hear this message. And if you want to integrate these teachings and work with me, the Raising Humans Collective is the place to be. An online community of like-minded parents working hard to pave their own path. That's the place for me to guide you along your own journey to answer all your questions and support you in raising yourself as you raise your own children. All of course, so together we can raise humankind.